Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 222. I mean, you have to do what you're passionate about, and nobody's going to hand it to you. You got to go out and get it. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Larry Webster. Larry, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Yep, I've got 500 horsepower and a transmission I shift myself. (laughs) All right, great. Sounds like we're going to have some fun. Larry Webster is the editor-in-chief of Road & Track. He oversees the development of the brand across print, web, broadcast, and tablet platforms. Prior to his assignment, Larry was the automotive editor for Popular Mechanics, and he was the technical director for Car & Driver, where he served as the magazine's chief test driver and instructor. Sounds like a fun job. He has a mechanical engineering degree from Lehigh University and is a graduate of several Society of Automotive Engineers programs. Larry, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your history, your career, your interests, and of course your passion for automobiles? I've loved cars, automobiles, magazines, all this stuff for as long as I can remember. And it is really, it's such a, uh, it's very, very intense. And I'll tell you a quick story that I think I'll illustrate it. I'd gotten out of college. This was 1992. I needed money to pay my loans back. And when you're an engineer, the nice thing about it is there's a lot of jobs for you. Uh-huh. So I took a job. I was living in D.C. I had a girlfriend. We had an apartment. And uh, I just I didn't like the job. I hated it. Mm. So it was the fall of 94. Um, after a lot of deliberation, I quit uh, my job. I put everything in the back of my Volkswagen Rabbit GTI. And I just drove straight through to Michigan and knocked on the door of Car and Driver and said, I am here. I will do whatever you want. Can you take me? <laughs> Very cool. And that's how I got started. And, um, you know, it was, it was a real roll of the dice because, you know, as you said, I studied engineering. But, of course, engineering is helpful. But the main skill you need for magazines is writing, editing, uh, much more of an um, editorial process than it is analyzing um, camshafts if there even was that so (laughs) it was definitely a big roll in the dice and i'm very lucky it worked out 
Oh, yeah. It's, it sounds very similar to a uh, former editor-in-chief at Road & Track there, Thomas Bryan, who's been on Cars, yeah, did a very similar thing. Just walked up, knocked on the door. I think in his case, he wrote a letter back when people wrote letters. Yeah. And look where he ended up as well. So sometimes just uh, knocking on doors, making phone calls and saying, I'm here. Take me. I'm yours. Well, you know, you got to make a big move. And, you know, up and quitting and just drive. It wasn't like that was an hour I could go in a day, you know, from D.C. to Michigan. Yeah. It was a big commitment. And I figured if it didn't work out there, I was just going to keep going west and see where it took me. <laughs> so, you, you know, you get a couple opportunities in life to do that. I think it's important to grab them. Oh, absolutely. And I'm so glad you landed where you have landed. And so much has changed in the magazine industry, if you will. You look at all the other touch points that you guys have. And we'll get into that as we move through this talk. But I always like to continue our journey by asking for a success quote from my guest. And this is a saying that has some kind of a a forming or part of your life. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here. And Larry, I know you love to drive, so take the wheel. Yeah, you know, I don't have like a good pithy quote for you. I mean, all the ones about taking risks, um, seizing that day, they all apply. Yes. I mean, you have to do what you're passionate about, and nobody's going to hand it to you. you got to go out and get it, it's, and it's simple as that. And if you don't, and you you really have no, you can't complain. <laughs> it's all in your hands, and don't forget that. <laughs> don't forget that. Well, tell me a little bit, since we don't have a specific quote, but it's about taking those risks and gambles, how do you apply that to your responsibilities with Road & Track today? Well, it comes down to like the stories you're going to do. A lot of times we're trying to get cars that are, there may only be one. It's in some far off location. You know, we just did, we'll have a motorsports issue coming out in May and we covered a lot of the latest race cars. And there's one car, there's a lot of uh, needs that that car has to fulfill. It has to get tested. It has to get, go in a wind tunnel. All these things that are against taking the time necessarily to, for a photo shoot or a drive or things like that. Or one of the cars we showed up, the engine had blown up an hour before we got it into pit lane. So, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and then you have to accommodate that. So there are certain risks like that you take for sure. And then we're always trying to evolve and adapt the magazine to our reader's taste. Yes. And that is a, it's a target you're constantly chasing. It's not like there's a bullseye, right, because every reader has kind of their own different wants and desires. So you're trying to really keep true to the brand, but also uh, be flexible enough to keep your readers happy because that's what we do. Well, I think so. And, you know, I'm a little bit of an older guy, if you will. I'm used to magazines. I get over 40 magazine subscriptions a month from all car magazines, car-related. But then I have my kids who are in their 20s who don't get any magazines. I mean, they get their media, their information from all these other sources. So before we get into a little bit more questions, I'd like to touch on this a little more because how have you adapted and adjusted to that there at Road & Track? Well, you know, that's definitely conventional wisdom is that the next generation doesn't read print. And I would say I don't believe that. I think there's a lot of these mediums that are changing all the time because two years ago, everybody told us that the tablets were going to kill magazines. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't happened. Actually, the signs are that tablet sales are not increasing anywhere near the rate that they were just a year ago. So that's one of those things that really flies against conventional wisdom. Mm-hmm. I think what we try to do is, is uh, uh, adapt the business. We have a lot more people on our on our website than we did before. But we also want to make sure that the magazine, the printed thing, is the what we call the premium extension of the brand. And so that means very high-quality writing 
and photography and you, you hopefully the latest change you've seen it's a much more cleaner premium presentation and it's just you know we want our readers to feel what it's like to be behind the wheel and you know the other thing that I always find very interesting is if you have a story that's that's digital it's on a website and the average time somebody spends with that story is like a minute that's considered whoa that's a lot because so many people <laughs> jump out really quick yes but we also know that the average reader spends 90 minutes with the magazine so it's a much, much different experience. People use it as an escape, and they go to it, and they spend a lot of time with it. So I think they'll coexist. Um, I don't think it's one over the other. It's now it's both. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say, and being a, a, a guy, I come from a graphic design background and a creative background. Your guys, your new look, I love it. Really great. Oh, great. Yeah. Thank you. Wonderful job there. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? I'd love to hear that pivotal moment as you can remember it when you really knew you were a car guy. Yeah, I mean, I think the one that that I remember, you know, funny thing is memory is imperfect, as we know. <laughs> yes. But my dad came back from a very rare business trip. He didn't travel much. And um, he dropped in my lap a car and driver. And it was from 1979, I believe. It had the Vector W12 on it. And it was a very provocative photo shoot on a dry lake bed with a female model. And this was pretty much all I needed to know about the automotive world. <laughs> and I, that hooked me on magazines. It hooked me on cars. But the truth is, it was a lifelong thing. I, you know, as long as I could remember, I could name every car just by the taillights. I remember when I was fourth grade, I gave a whole long presentation about how an engine works. Oh, you know, cool. it, it, it was, it's just been... One of those that's a lifelong thing, for sure. It's never one of those things that hit me. Never been never been not there. I hear that from a lot of my guests. It's a DNA thing yeah. <laughs> or a disease that we're all afflicted with, or we'll pick one or pick them both. Sure. Larry, I'd love to uh, take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood here and ask you to share with me a huge challenge or even a great failure that you've faced along the way in your career. But the most important part of this has to do with how you overcame it and what did you learn from it? The hardest thing I had to do was learn how to write, mm. and it was very difficult to show up at Car and Driver where the writing was already at a very high standard and try and meet up to that. In the beginning, I really didn't. You know, the editors there, if, if they're going to take a piece of my writing and make it better to get in the magazine, that means a lot more work for them. Right. So you have to imagine I was not a very light character around the office. And it was very difficult for not a few years, for a lot of years, mm-hmm. until I kind of found where my niche is. And um, anything you're going to do creatively, you have to find your own, your own voice, what works for you. You know, I find there's some writers who are just wordsmiths, and I look at their perfectly crafted paragraphs, and I just ache in jealousy, mm-hmm. right? Cause <laughs> brilliant. And then I hope that I have, you know, what I bring to the table is, is I... I think I understand what's interesting, and I think I understand, like, what is that detail that somebody else wouldn't have noticed to bring out and highlight? You know, it's a much more, like, nonfiction-based, let this material do the talking, not necessarily the writer. And it, it took me a whole long time to feel good about that and to really sort of internalize that, and that's really hard. You know, it's a common story I've heard from some other editors, publishers that I've had here in Cars Yet, and... Another example, my wife's an engineer, and she finds writing very difficult, creative writing, if you will. I wonder if it has to do with your engineering background, the way your left brain, right brain thinks. 
you know, that uh, logical side, creative side, do you think that has anything to do with it as, as you learned to be a better writer? I just don't know. I mean, I think part of it's just self-awareness. Everybody, most people think they're good writers. And uh, I think the greatest attribute you can have is to not think that. <laughs> and to sort of, you know, sort of know you'll get it. You'll feel it when it's when it's decent. And then to rely on your other editors to help you shape it a little bit. And it comes and goes. You know, I've had some pieces that, that, that don't need anything. They're ready to go. And then you've had some that you're just in the weeds and you need some help, somebody <laughs> yeah. to sort of to, to pull you back. So I couldn't tell you everybody's wired differently. Yep. You know, you look at Carl Ludsington, Chubbichetta, Sherman, they're all engineers, great writers. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, look at one of the guys who writes for us, Sam Smith, very sharp mechanically. He's not an engineer, but super-duper creative guy. You know, mm-hmm. just bright. So yeah. there just is no template. I mean, I the thing I wonder about today, it's like, you know, there's guys who want to write and, it's like the business has changed. There's, we don't have that space on our staff for somebody that we're going to see if they can figure out how to write. You know, it's like you got to show up ready to produce. Right. The difference now is there's a whole bunch of blogs that you can write for and there's a lot of other outlets. But the problem with all that stuff is nobody's showing you how to do it. Nobody's telling you it's any good, you know. So you sure. kind of you create your own bubble. Yeah. yeah, I understand. I tell people if they want to get in this business, I think the best thing to do is to study journalism, not necessarily English. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, this is a business. You have to be to produce. Yep. Guys that come out of newspapers, actually, they get that. And you certainly have a little more time with magazines, but a lot of times we're writing, you know, for just a couple hours on the web. Yep. So you got to master those skills as well. Very good insights. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. Would you share a story with me when you had one of those aha moments in your career? It's that time when the headlights come on and they illuminate the way for a new idea or a direction. And tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into a success. So one of the aha, the aha moments I've had is, um, is around vehicle testing. We all love the numbers as enthusiasts. It's like our sports stats. It's really fun and it's great to pour into the numbers. But you know, now, today... So many cars are so fast that the numbers aren't meaning much, and they don't necessarily paint you the whole picture. So what I did is I figured that road and track, since we're definitely heavily into track and racing and performance, we needed to have our own circuit. Of course, racetracks are expensive. Where do you do it? So I actually went down to Detroit, and I found a spot that was empty enough and large enough and flat enough that we could make our own racetrack. And it's at the Detroit City Airport. It's five miles from downtown. We carved out a mile circuit we called the Motown Mile. <laughs> and this cool. is another performance metric. So we've we've run about 45 cars there, and we have all the data that goes back and forth. And it's really just a fun comparative tool. It's just another way to sort of illustrate the modern performance car. And, uh, you know, do something like that. If you can imagine the paperwork that's involved, getting a city airport that's owned by Detroit, which is going through bankruptcy to – you know, allow us to come in and do what we need to do and then clear it with the FAA. And, I mean, you can imagine the red tape. Oh, gosh. And once you set your, your sights on a goal, you just you do something a little bit every day to move that little centimeter forward. And right. Little by little by little, you'll get there. Awesome. Great aha moment. How about proudest career business moments? I assume you've had many, but is there one in particular you could share with us that really stands out? Well, my proudest moment is I'm very grateful to work with super talented people, folks much more talented than I am. I think the thing that I enjoyed doing the most was a story I, um, I wrote last year 
It was about the tail of the dragon, which is a 10-mile stretch of road in uh, southeastern United States. It's oh, yeah. really crazy curvy. And um, it turns out that there's one guy, he's a local, who's got a record time, and everybody considers him the expert. He doesn't want to be known. It's really underground. And I eventually got to him, got him to agree to run with me on the road, and then uh, I brought a Ferrari <laughs> to try and beat him. <laughs> and uh, the whole story just turned out, in, in my view, just fantastic. It's a lot happened. There was a surprise at the end, and there's a lot of high drama, and it sort of it hit all the buttons we want to hit. It's, it's got a hero car, incredible road, quirky characters, competition, and drama. All that weaved into one story. It's like, poof, man, I'd do those every month if they came around. <laughs> it's it. nice when everything falls into place like that. Yeah, That's great. you get lucky sometimes. And you got to realize that you certainly get lucky, but you got to be in the opportunities to... to to get the luck. Well, you know, I say about luck is that's when preparation and opportunity collide into each other, and that's when luck really happens. So, yeah, everybody says that, and there's certainly truth to it. But I think you you always have to be careful not to toot your own horn too much. <laughs> yes, you know, because luck and fate and just happenstance have an awful lot to do with where we end up. Certainly helps. That's for sure. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And if you could share a memory you had with that vehicle. Sure. Uh, my dad bought a 1984 Dodge Daytona Turbo Z, oh. and that was a pretty special car. And then he totaled it. And uh, I was right about the time I was 15-ish or so, and I was going to be, uh, I was assumed I would buy it from him. But once mm-hmm. it was gone, I I loved that car so much. I, I mowed, I must have mowed 20, I, mean, I remember I had a, 22 accounts a week. These are the lawns I would cut. Oh, gosh. And I saved up 4200 bucks, and I bought one. And I drove it around. I didn't know what I didn't know, but I quickly learned that that car was a piece of junk. <laughs> I mean, it was terrible. Yeah, the fantasy didn't quite live up. Oh, it just rattled, and it had tons of turbo lag, and it was it was just horrendous. I remember I sold it for four grand when I was in college, and then found a Rabbit GTI for twenty three hundred bucks. Yeah, and once I got in that, and that had been a car that all the magazines had said was just brilliant and fantastic, and the light bulb really went off. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah. So those are the two big cars in my life. There you go. Did you give your dad a call back and say, Dad, what the heck were you thinking? Why did you tell me about this? <laughs> yeah, you know, but he, he didn't know either. You know, it's like we're the connoisseurs of the car world. Yeah. You know, all those little fine little details we noticed, they're sort of like screaming at us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is there a vehicle that you've had in your past that you sold that you really wish you could have back, that seller's remorse? Oh, good question. Most of the cars I sell, I can't wait to get rid of. I'm sort of one of those guys. When I'm done, I am done. You're done. On to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... That's okay if the answer is no. I've heard that before. Always looking ahead. Well, you know, I was sad to get rid of that GTI. Yeah. And uh it's funny, I bought another one two years ago. Oh. Fixed it back up. And, you know, they were really fun cars to drive in their time period, but the, the quality was horrendous. Mm-hmm. And uh, everything rattled. I remember driving it around after I fixed it back up. And thought, God, this thing's a piece of junk, and I got rid of that too. Oh goodness! So, no, the answer would be no. <laughs> no, okay. Well, that's okay. You know, my wife and I—the first car we bought when we first got married was a Jetta GLI, uh, the oh, yeah. GLI. And actually, that was a great car. I had that car for ten years. It was awesome. Took us all over the place. Uh, our first child uh, we had when we had that car. It was a really nice car. I really enjoyed it. Uh, oh, great! Many, wow. Many a ski trip with that car. So. It was super. 
How about current projects? Is there something you guys are working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Uh, for us at Road and Track? Sure. Or for you. Yeah, yeah. Your we have some stuff. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't really talk about a lot of it. But, yeah, we have a lot of stuff coming up that we're – we have some um, some things that we're, we've been investigating, noodling, trying to make happen. And, um, you know, but I think our focus is certainly to thrill and excite and delight our readers on a monthly and now a daily basis. That remains our sole focus. All right, Larry. Up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal – Here's a word from one of our sponsors. Carpe Viem. Seize the road. It's the motto at CarpeGear.com, where you'll find The Little Red Racing Car, an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an international award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kid's book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves The Little Red Racing Car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand where you can find his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at CarpeGear.com and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's CarpeGear.com, C-A-R-P-E, Gear.com. All right, we're up to the last lap, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Sure. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? You know, maybe there was a time when I was racing uh, IT cars. You know, I wasn't doing that. I was doing okay, but I wasn't doing that well. I was wondering why I was so much slower, and I finally decided to take my car to this shop. You know, the rules are very stringent. And we got there, and uh, the first thing they did was they, they mounted a six-foot I-beam to the front hub. Hmm. And they, they bent the front spindle to get more camber out of the front than you could otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I remember just thinking, like, that was when the light bulb went off with the creativity that's in racing and the lengths people would go and the ways to get around things. And that's why I always tell folks, like, when – when uh, a car company does race, and when they go racing, they're like, well, nobody wins on Sundays, sells on Monday, doesn't make any sense. And that's true. But what racing teaches you in terms of, uh, you know, the deadline, there's there's always a solution. And just that straight-out technical creativity, I think, uh, is a pretty fantastic thing. Oh, absolutely. So I would say that was the that there's a whole lot going on here that I didn't understand. That was probably the best advice I'd, I've gotten. <laughs> there's a lot more to it. Could you yeah. share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? I think it's pretty simple stuff uh, can really help you. And it's boring, but it's, it's to-do lists. And you keep them and you look to them and you set little goals for yourself. Here's what I want to do today. Here's what I want to do this month and um, you make sure you, you, you hit them and you don't accept when you don't. But the biggest one for sure that's helped me the most is just taking advantage of the opportunity that being in whatever business you're in presents. And in my business, it's like you can do all these fantastic things around cars and write about them, but you have to come up with the idea and champion the idea. What's always pretty fascinating about this business is how few people understand that. Mm -hmm. And much better off choosing what you want to do 
and then trying to make a case for why they should pay you to do that mm. rather being told. Mm-hmm. And everybody has that opportunity, but they just have to, you know, it's old fashioned gumption. Yes. Nobody's going to do anything for you. You got to just grab it and do it by yourself. And I don't want to hear any whining when it doesn't go your way. Just move on. <laughs> move on. There you go. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with the Cars Yow listeners you think would be really valuable to them? I know there are many, many, many out there, especially with websites these days, but one in particular you think they should check out? Well, certainly, I mean, for your daily fix, rodentrout.com is, uh, is now wonderfully vibrant, entertaining, informative. I think anybody who loves cars will enjoy spending some time there. And then beyond that, I mean, it's such the basic stuff. It depends on the car. And it ends up being all those car-specific forums that are so wonderfully helpful. Yes. And I'm sure everybody can relate. You know, I have this 30-year-old pickup I'm working on right now, and I, I can't tell you how great it is to just go on there and ask a question. That's a silly question, but get it answered. Yeah. So um, I think that's whatever car you love, there's a forum for it, I guarantee you, and I would go to it and, and be a user. Oh, yeah, extremely helpful. Gotten me out of many, many quandaries where I was sitting in the garage yeah. and I'm about ready to sell the car I have because I can't figure something out. And somebody goes, try this, and it works. So yeah, it's great, great out there. How about a book? Is there one book in particular that you think our listeners would really enjoy? Yeah, the one that I'm just I, I'm looking to get a copy of is the, the, the Mudge Pond Express by Sam Posey. Ah, okay. He yeah. wrote it right after the 1975 season of racing with BMW. Mm-hmm. And by that time, he'd done F1, Formula 5000, all kinds of stuff in a very short time. And the beauty of Sam is he's a storyteller. Yes. And it's a wonderfully written thing. You know, obviously, he's been a road and track contributor, part of road and track for decades now. Yeah. But he has a way of explaining things and that you really just want to get it. You really just want to get it and enjoy this book. Beyond that, I always loved Brock Yates' book on Enzo Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Just a brilliant, masterful piece. You know, Brock Yates is another one of those, such a strong writer, such a character, yep. everything. I mean, just yeah, brilliant dude. There'll never be another one like him. And um, if you haven't read A.J. Bame's book, Go Like Hell, <laughs> yes, <laughs> about the nineteen about the Ford GT40 and Ferrari Wars in the 60s, that is a tour de force, a brilliant car guy book. Anybody who's not a car guy can read it and enjoy it. It's a, it's a wonderful story. Yeah. It's been recommended by many guests here and uh, a yeah. wonderful book. It sits on my shelf and uh, Sam, I'd love to get Sam on the show. Um, I think he's just wonderful. Followed him forever. Yeah. It's great. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources at com slash Larry Webster. Larry, do you have any interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars? Cars take up most of it. Uh, <laughs> other than rising three kids. I mean, um, uh, and the, and I, what fascinates me about cars is there's the wide variety that you can do. Like I love this old pickup, yet at the same time I'm I'm restoring a, an old Formula Ford to go racing next month, and oh, cool. I love fabricating stuff for the trailer to carry the Ford. And I mean, it's like an endless version of adult Tinker Toys and Legos that you get <laughs> to play with. So this stuff I, I can't say enough. I, I just love it. Uh, but motorcycles, I love to ride bikes, bicycles, and exercise, and yep. play soccer, and all bunch of other things that, unfortunately, I uh, I don't have enough time to pursue all of them. But I think most that I love doing the most is pursuing stories, writing about them, getting them on a page, expressing that thing. It's a real gift to be able to do this every day, and I'm 
uh, eternally grateful. Well, and you guys are doing an awesome job there. We, we, all of us readers, appreciate it as well. We're up to the checkered flag here, Larry, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost because today I'm, I'm going to write the check, what would that one vehicle be? And more importantly, why would you choose it? That's really tricky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is what I do. I take a, a Porsche 911, a 993, and I can tell you very specifically why, because I have one, and I just love it. And what I do with cars is I don't go to car shows. I, uh, I take trips with them, mm-hmm. and I go places where there are good roads, and I very often do it by myself. And these, this car is about the perfect machine for it because it's practical and comfortable enough that I can do everything. But when I'm at the place where the roads are fantastic, the car handles brilliantly. So, And it's not too crazy expensive that I worry about using it because I'm not a car polisher. I have to just have to be a kind of a car. And so that car fills all those buckets for me, and it's sort of exotic enough to be interesting but not too exotic enough. You, you're scared to beat on it. And it kind of fills all those buckets. So I think if there's one car, and this is, don't get me wrong, this is today we're answering this. Tomorrow <laughs> I might answer something differently. Sure. <laughs> um, that would be it. Yeah, they're great cars. I've had a 993. I've had many 911s. But the 993, there's just something special about that vehicle. Great cars, everyday cars, track cars, whatever you want to do with them. They just, they take everything. So Great choice, and I'm glad you already own it. That means I don't have to buy you anything, so you're going you're gonna to be a cheap date for me today, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Some of the people I have on the show, oh, my goodness, I've got to write those big golfer checks with a lot of zeros on them. So. Oh, sure. Well, Larry, you've taken me on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down the track in that Porsche 993? I mean, I think I've said it a bunch of times. I don't want to be beating people over the head, but your life's really in your hands. Uh, You can do whatever you want. I mean, you have to bring a dose of practicality with you, but, um, you know, there's all kinds of – I would not dream about things you want to do. Just do it. Just do it. Great. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and Road & Track? Well, first and foremost, subscribe to the magazine, and then tell us what you think. We'd love to start a conversation with you, and we want to know – what you think of the magazine and what you really like and what you really don't. And um, that's number one. Number two, obviously, we have our roadandtrack.com. We've got a huge Facebook presence. Uh, we're on Instagram. Me personally, you can check me out at um, – I am. I have to check. I'm on Instagram. I'm on at LWRNT on Twitter. Those are certainly spots we can start conversations and uh, – I hope to run into you one of these days. Great. Absolutely. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything that Larry has shared with us today at carsyad.com slash Larry Webster. Type Larry into the search box and his show notes page will pop right up. Thank you, Larry, for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. I appreciate uh, you taking the time and I enjoyed our conversation. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, 
a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!